You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 87. Today, I'm sitting down with the future-to-be Mr. Olympia, Alex Talinka. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. What's up, coach? Thank you so much for pushing play on another episode of the PT Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Simpson. And if this is your first time hanging out with me today, thank you so much for pushing play. I am super pumped to get this interview out to you. I sat down with the future Mr. Olympia stage. That's what I'm calling this podcast. I hope you don't mind, Alex. But based on the intensity of our conversation, I have no doubt that you are going to get there on that stage. So Alex Talinka is a 20-year-old NPC bodybuilder from Long Island, New York. He's a coach for clients, also also a full-time college student. He also coaches other bodybuilders and happens to be a transgender man and aims to be the first transgender man to make it to the Mr. Olympia stage. In this episode, we talked all about the misconceptions about the sport of bodybuilding. We also talked about nutrition specifics and the differences about being on season, off season, both in the sport and off the sport and how we can use some of the practices in the sport of bodybuilding and translate it to our general population clients. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that interview. Alex, what's up? Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. Oh, this is going to be such a fun conversation. I cannot wait to dive in. So for those of you who've never heard of Alex, I'd love for you to please share with us a little bit about who you are, who you serve, and how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Alex Tolinka. I'm a 20-year-old bodybuilder. Uh, I live on Long Island, New York. I train at Bev Francis Powerhouse Gym. I'm an MPC competitor. Um, I am also a transgender male, so um, I'm the only transgender male competitor in the MPC Classic Physique Division. Um, pretty much from there, I do have my Instagram, social media. I'm a Gymshark-sponsored athlete, and I'm also a coach. Oh, I love that. Okay, so let's just dive in. How did you get to this journey? Tell us a little bit about your journey. <laughs> so I actually had before bodybuilding, I did absolutely nothing like sport oriented. Um, I was a drummer. I was extremely involved in music. I was in my school's competitive jazz band, choir group, you name it. I was probably in it if involved in music. Um, but it was for me, it was just one of those things that I was very, very skinny um, I really ate poorly. I kind of just ate when I was hungry and that was about it. And it wasn't very often. So I was like a hundred pounds wet. Um, and being a transgender male, um, I never really let that like define me as an individual, but it definitely kind of per- like persuade, like it kind of swayed me to feel a certain way about myself in the beginning. I was like, I wanted to be more masculine, whatever that took. So I kind of just figured, you know, what, okay, well, if I want to look more masculine, I have to work out. Right. So like, that's how it kind of started. It was just basically me wanting to feel better about myself, look more masculine. And then also, I think there was an aspect of self-control about it, that like, it was an out like bodybuilding or working out in general was an outlet for me to feel like I had control over what I looked like. Um, which for me being transgender was like really important and like satisfying. So that's kind of what got me into it. Um, but I do have a very all or nothing personality so like you know it went very quickly from um just wanting to do it casually to wanting to be a competitor so (laughs) introduced to the sport uh so i when i first started working out i just went to the school gym in my high school um i went with my friends um and then i pretty much like i wanted to learn as much as i could about bodybuilding in general so i started looking into the nutrition aspect of it the training aspect of it 
I looked into like the history of it, like who are some major bodybuilders. I watched like Pumping Iron. I watched all like the documentaries. Um, and then I learned about Bev Francis Powerhouse Gym. Um, and like, I started even learning about gyms and stuff. And Bev Francis was a gym I learned about. And for some reason, I, I was aware that it was in New York, but I wasn't aware it was on Long Island where I live. And at the time I was a junior and I just got my permit and pretty much um, I found out about Bev Francis Powerhouse Gym and I pretty much decided, I was like, okay, the minute I get my full license, like I want to go and like just experience that and like be around people with that kind of mindset. So I did that, like, in, like the minute I got my full license every single day after school, I would drive 45 minutes to Bev Francis. And that's kind of like the first time I was introduced to actual competitors, not just people that did it for fun. Um, and up to that point, I was already kind of working out for a year. Um, I took it seriously, but not to the extent that I take it now, obviously. And I think just going there and being so welcomed by everyone and like seeing people push themselves to the, that limit really excited me. And like, that's kind of um, what introduced me to bodybuilding competitors. Uh, that being said, up to that point, I had no inclination to compete um, because first off, I wasn't sure if I could, to be honest, I was like, I don't know if I can compete, like, you know, like, I don't know the regulations for the MPC. And, um, you know, I was making a lot of progress. I was having competitors like Arash and like Arash Rabar, Sadiq Hadzavik, Juan Diesel Morel. Like I was having these very well-known bodybuilders come up to me and be like, Hey, like you should consider competing. Like you are making a lot of progress really fast. It's really impressive. And I literally was like, I was very flattered, but I was like, I don't know if I can. But luckily, the owner of Bev Francis is uh, Steve Weinberger and his wife, Bev Francis, and they kind of run the MPC shows. So I was like, you know, what? I'm literally just going to go up to them and be very clear cut and honest and be like, I'm going to, you know, like I'm Alex Linka, like I go to your gym. I'm sure like we already kind of knew each other, but I never really directly spoke to them. And I was I was just honest. I was like, listen, like I want to compete, but I'm a trans guy like is that a problem? Cause I don't want to get ready for a bodybuilding show and then show up and then be told that I can't compete because that's a lot of effort and work that goes into getting ready for a bodybuilding show. And they pretty much said, no, like there's absolutely no issues for you. Um, you know, they said, don't take any offense to this, but if anything, you're at a slight disadvantage. So there wouldn't be really like a problem with you competing against other guys. And I was like, okay, perfect. So from there, um, at this point, um, the minute I joined, sorry to backtrack a little bit, the minute I did join Beth Francis, I did get a coach, his name's Jason. Um, uh, so pretty much it just like, you know, I told Jason, I was like, hey, like I can compete. And he was like, okay, perfect, so let's do this. So when I was 18 years old, I got ready for my first bodybuilding show. Um, I, my legs are already big enough for classic, so I decided to compete in classic. Um, I got first in teens and then second in junior and novice. So it's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, I have, there's so many different directions and I have so many questions. So please feel free. Like if I ask something that is not appropriate, just shut me down. Okay. No, absolutely. Like I always say, like, I'm really an open book. Uh, I'm very transparent about everything because I think um, there is a lot of misconceptions and I think it's purely just because people are shy to ask um, and there's there needs to be individuals that feel comfortable enough to like open up about it and just speak like truthfully about it so like don't worry like really I promise nothing offends me okay great I love that so you know I'm curious you know because I know that and I know a lot of powerlifting competitions also have this so in their sport is that there are regulations in terms of you know, steroids and drugs that they're allowed to take, which is what makes them be competitive or not competitive. Is that something that as, uh, is that something you've had to deal with as you decide which shows you're going to go to and how do you navigate that conversation? Right. So pretty much most transgenders, um, you go on testosterone through an endocrinologist, the endocrinologist sets your dosing. That being said, through the MPC, it's not regulated like that. So they don't really like test for like there are in bodybuilding there's national like there's divisions that are strictly natural um and they do test but the mpc and ipb lee which are the most prestigious and really honestly competitive don't so it was kind of one of those things that they were like i mean 
if you take hormones, like, not, like you're not the only one. So like, you're fine. Like, you know, so even if I just like competed on my endocrinologist, those of 80 milligrams, like they don't test that being said, furthermore, um, when a transgender is put on testosterone through an endocrinologist, it's only to make their testosterone levels equivalent to a cisgendered male. A cisgendered male is just a male born at birth as a male. So pretty much if, you know, there are people that argue that, oh, well, if a, you know, a transgender man is on testosterone, they would have a competitive edge over a cis male. The answer is definitely no, because if they're only on the prescribed dose from the endocrinologist, that dose dosing purpose is strictly to elevate them to the level of a natural born males, if that makes sense. It's not supposed to exceed that, so. It's perfect sense, which, which leads me to my next question, which is where I feel like it leads to a lot of the controversy is that when you enter a competition where there is no regulation in terms of, you know, being tested for hormone take, then you have someone like a cisgendered male who's also taking it. So that gives them, you know, a, a competitive advantage. Do you feel mm. like that has, you know, you know, how, how do you feel like the industry specifically has dealt with that and your thoughts on that? Uh, in like, when you say dealt, like deal with that, like, can you be a little bit more specific, like regulated it? Yeah. Or, you know, your thoughts on, you know, is it an unfair advantage and do you think it should be something that is regulated or not in a way that makes it fair to all competitors? Right. Um, well, the way I see it is, again, there are divisions that are strictly natural. So if that is very important to you, then I think there's always that option. Um, the issue with regulating it through the MPC and IPB is that it's been unregulated for so long. Um, like how and exactly how would you regulate it? Like, would there be like, how, like you like, what would you cap it out? Like, you know. Like be like, oh, 200, gra 200 milligrams of testosterone, that's your cap. Like that's, it's just, <laughs> you know, and there's so many, like there's so many compounds and stuff like that. It, I don't think it would be realistic to do that. And at the end of the day, um, again, even if you were trying to regulate it, right? Everyone reacts differently to hormones. So if one individual took, took 200 milligrams of testosterone and then the second individual took 400, it's actually, and then like, for example, if you're trying to regulate the MPC show, when you went to go do the blood work, it's actually possible that the person taking the 200 milligrams has higher levels of testosterone because either they have naturally more testosterone in them or they just absorb it better. So it's really almost impossible to regulate like that because everyone reacts differently to hormones. So even though the, you know, person B might be taking more testosterone, um, from like, you know, an outside source of their body, if they're not absorbing it as well, and they naturally have lower levels, then how can you possibly determine, you know, how would you be like, oh, well, person, but in, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it's just... Then actually, as we're talking about it, it, it remind you know, it, it just reminds me to remember that, you know, we want to be focusing on the things that we can control. And there's, we're just talking about one component. That's like saying, you know, so-and-so spends a hundred thousand on their Facebook ads. So now their business is better. Right. And it's just right. not true because there's so many other components that go into it. So I totally, I, I totally get that. It's just surprising to me that, that it, it seems like it is a controversial to topic in terms of drugs or no drugs, you know, it's definitely controversial because at the end of the day, it's not something that you could deem like healthy you know um but i think by the end of the day like there's like people drink alcohol like there's so many vices like it doesn't that are illegal necessarily like so it's just like in my opinion it, for something like that that again it's so it's impossible to track someone like that um i think if anything instead of trying to um regulate like gear usage you should maybe provide more healthcare services for these athletes like, you know, be more like preventive, like to help them, you know, because instead of, because that's something that, you know, every sport, every, like, especially the IPB pros, every sport that's at a, like a national level, they have some type of healthcare system for their athletes. So like football players, if they get injured, they're covered. 
like bodybuilders like the only athletes that if something happens to them that's on them so like you know and there's like a lot of other sports use hormones and like do crazy stuff too so like instead of trying to regulate the hormone usage maybe just try and be proactive about you know making sure that they're healthy and if anything happens that they have options to get help mm-hmm. or blood work you know like maybe like provide blood work for them like mm-hmm. you know like every six months something at least if you're a pro or definitely if you're going to olympia if you're an olympian you should have something like that in my opinion mm, i love that okay so now when we first i would just want to circle back because when we first started talking on the podcast we were talking about some of the mis- you said that there are a lot of misconceptions out there so i about the sport i'd really love for you to if you wouldn't mind like just diving into some of the misconceptions and how you have used your message to shift perspective right yeah okay I mean, we could go from like a nutritional aspect, you go from training, like there's so many spots I can start on. Um, I guess we can start is one big misconception that I think is a like a product of social media is I think people think bodybuilding is this very like glamorous lifestyle and like, cause you see these like guys with ripped abs and like their cars and like girls or whatever on Instagram, but like, that's not what bodybuilding is like bodybuilding is probably the most redundant sport there is um like you pretty much do the exact same thing every single day um it's not like I go to the gym and I change up my workout every single time I train I do the exact same thing like everything serves a purpose um it's very meticulous it's a life it's a total lifestyle change we don't have seasons like you know just because you're not getting ready for a show doesn't mean you're not eating like a bodybuilder anymore um, so I think like a big misconception is that I think it's very glamorized in by social media. Um, and a lot of young kids just want to like get ripped or whatever, but like, I don't think they really understand the level and like what it really takes to get that lean. Like you suffer, like, honestly, you really do suffer. And it's something that like, if you don't really have a passion for the sport, it's very tough to do for a very long time. And that's another thing, like bodybuilding athletes, they last a long time. Like Dexter Jackson, one of the most famous bodybuilders, he competed into his 60s. So it's not like a sport where athletes retire in their 30s. Like you can go for a while if you really want. So So it's interesting because you said that, you know, there's no, uh, it's a lifestyle. So, and there's no off season. So, I mean, does that mean that you guys are literally RPE 10 all day, every day? Like what's, what does your bodybuilding season look like? So for example, like it, yeah, I mean, year round, I wake up for fasted cardio. I still do fast cardio every single day in the morning fasted. Um, I am a college student. So once college starts back up again, I'll be in the gym six in the morning doing fasted cardio. Um, I eat six times a day. Like yesterday, I woke up a little late. Uh, so I had to have my last meal. I literally woke up two in the morning to eat it. Um, it's like very, like there's like, if you want to take it seriously, like every little detail matters because everyone is just as crazy <laughs> in this in the bodybuilding world. So it's like, who can out crazy the other one, you know? Um, because it's it it sounds like one meal, but you know, it's I do believe in habits. So it's like skip one meal here, skip another one there. It starts to add up, you know. And then there's me another competitor that they didn't skip it, and it's gonna show in the long run definitely. Um, you know, year round I train really really hard. Um, I there's many days I'm just physically very exhausted because like my body's so beaten down. Um, we train the way we train is pretty much I like to say powerlifting, but with reps. <laughs> like we train very heavy, but we do reps. Like we stick in the, you know. I mean sometimes I will go in the six to eight rep range, but you know I'm doing hack squats, seven plates each side for ten reps. It's a lot of weight for a lot of volume. Um, it's very taxing. Um, again, even just like you're like the kitchen is like almost a full-time job I'm cooking six times a day uh before if I'm going to college I'll meal prep that I have to like take the time to do that so it's definitely like a commitment and then add like just being a normal human being like you know I have family I have a girlfriend like I go to college I have clients like it's a lot of work um cleaning up after yourself like you know um it's they don't have like a private special chef like some of these athletes do and others like you know other sports so um it's definitely not as glamorous as people think it is for sure so I'd love to talk a little bit about the recovery process so you know what is your 
how do you manage recovery? Like, what do you do if you get sick? Do you get sick? So honestly, I'm very lucky that I don't knock on wood get sick very like often. Um, I do like I do a lot of preventative things to like ensure I don't get sick because if I do get sick, honestly, if it's a head cold, I will still work out. Um, like if it's very very sick, then no, I will take a step back. But if it's just like runny nose or like something like really not serious, I'll probably take a day off or something just to make sure I don't get anyone sick. But from there, I will go back to work out. Um, but recovery, honestly, it's very basic, but it's just like, you got to sleep. You have to eat. Um, we take, you know, there's, it's, there's also like, um, intro workout. We do a lot of like peri nutrition, stuff like that. So we'll take aminos, um, combine that with like a cluster dextrin. What happens is, um, we spike our insulin levels. So we'll consume like a fast acting carb intro workout, um, which just spikes your insulin levels. Insulin is a catalyst for amino absorption. So the minute you spike your insulin levels, you tell your body absorb, literally, that's what like your body knows to do. So your body will literally absorb those aminos as you're working out. So you're literally repairing the muscle tissue as you're training. So that really, really is something great that as us bodybuilders, we do, um, especially if you train more frequently, like if you train a muscle group more than once a week, that's definitely something I would always put any person on is like an intro workout stack like that um you know you just again it's it's really the, it's the diet like 95 percent of the sport is the diet because if you don't have the diet down then like you're not going to recover and then you're not going to grow mm, okay great so I, I do i definitely want to get into nutrition because it also sounds like that's super something you're super passionate about but real quick how many hours a day are you training uh, really depends on the like body part, but typically I do, I do 30 minutes fast cardio. And then for training, I would say hour and a half is like the general amount. Six days a week. No, actually right now I train, um, two days on, then I take a rest day and two days on rest day. Um, so it's kind of like five, got it, got it. Say, yeah. four or five, depending on where you are. Totally. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Do you go on vacation? And if you do, you just work out? So if I go on vacation, I definitely still work out. Um, I usually pack my meals with me, um, especially if I'm, pre, if I'm pre-show. It doesn't matter where I am. I have my meals on me. Um, I will eat. I've eaten fish cold. I've eaten many gross things cold just to get the meal in. Um, so, yes, um, if I'm not pre-contest, then I probably won't go that hardcore, but I will definitely still like be eating pretty much why I would on my diet you know it's not that hard like I have eggs and oats in the like morning I can find that if I'm going vacation um I do want to go to Olympia this year really badly um so I probably I would always bring with like me like some supplements like whey um my intra carbs stuff like that but for the actual food if I'm off season I'm a little more bit more lenient about it but you won't see me like eating chips and stuff like that ever so yeah I mean, I maybe like on a cheat meal, but that's about it. Like I wouldn't like binge or anything like that. Okay. All right. So let's go into your misconceptions of nutrition. So tell me what like the number one misconception is for nutrition. Number one misconception for nutrition is that people um, eat too much protein, actually, um, in my personal opinion. Um, They think that uh, they see these really big bodybuilders. They're like slamming down 300, 400 grams of protein a day. Meanwhile, they weigh 150 pounds and they don't take any external hormones and it's just going to absolutely ruin your gut. It's going to cause distension and you're not going to even absorb all of it. And quite frankly, all that extra protein will just turn into fat. Um, So pretty much uh, the body can only naturally absorb about 30 to 50 grams of protein per sitting. Um, And then that will take about three to four hours to digest. So when I see like young guys, like trying to slam down hundred grams of protein a meal, it's just absolutely unnecessary. And then like, they think carbs are bad for you. So they will have no carbs and then hundred grams of protein. And that's just going to cause so many problems for your gut. Um, carbs, you know, are, you need carbs just for actual volume fiber. Um, it cause, helps with bowel motion. Um, Again, going back to the whole insulin spike. When you say carbs, because I do want to go to insulin spike, but when you say carbs, can you be specific on the types of carbs we're talking about? Because some, you know, our, some people will be like, vegetables don't count. They do count. What about like, what gets, what are the specific, like, what do you mean by carbs? 
Well, it really depends on your caloric needs and on your goals. But honestly, typically, I always stick to like carbs that sit nicely in this. I'm very big on like digestion and gut health. Uh, typically, honestly, brown rice just wreaks havoc on most people's like uh, digestive system. It's too harsh. Um, it's insoluble fiber. We want to aim for soluble fiber. Insoluble fiber, it's just too high in it. And then it kind of just gets stuck in the stomach. Combine that with not drinking enough water, you're going to get bloated and not use the bathroom for like three days. Um, so I honestly like white rice, jasmine rice. It sits wonderfully in most people's stomachs. Combine that with some veggies, which have soluble fiber. Soluble fiber will turn into like a gel paste in your stomach. It'll coat the intestines and help bowel. It'll pretty much help like lubrication and help bowel motion like in general, um, unlike insoluble fiber, which is very harsh and it doesn't like gel down like that. So I think like a combination of like a white rice, white potato, something that's very light and like digests very easily with some type of soluble fiber with like, you know, cauliflower. I actually don't even like broccoli because it's a, it's a high FODMAP food. Um, uh, FODMAP food pretty much is high in this acidity. So again, it might sit really harshly in most people's stomach. Like cauliflower, asparagus is amazing. Um, zucchini. Um, you gotta listen to your body. And just from working with a lot of clients, a lot of people have had issues with very specific foods, and I've seen a pattern. Um, baby spinach is amazing. It's very high in potassium. Will help digest, and it's very easy to eat if you just like you know saute a little bit. Um, so for carbs, I would absolutely like people would be surprised but bodybuilders there's a reason we eat white rice white potato cream of rice um the only really complex carb we eat is oatmeal but the reason for that is because oatmeal unlike other like brown rice stuff like that has soluble fiber not the insoluble fiber so oatmeal is great in the morning because it'll help um it'll spike your insulin a little bit but then it'll kind of keep it elevated because of that fiber um, so it kind of gives you like a really sustained source of energy or before bed is great too, but throughout the day, definitely something light in the stomach carb wise. Mm. So when you say people are like, oh, I'm not going to eat any carbs when I'm going to crush hundred grams of protein. Are they not even eating vegetables? Yeah. Like, I mean, I've seen, I, they'll just do like shakes. Like they'll just do like protein shakes. They won't even eat like whole food. Um, and that's another thing. Your body is very smart. It can tell the difference between real food and just a protein powder. Um, I've been bodybuilding for four years and I have never ever like relied on protein powder. I think that's another big misconception that bodybuilders like just slam down a lot of protein powder, but we don't, we eat like real whole food, like real whole meals. Um, the only time I have a protein shake is right before I go to bed, just because I don't want to eat something that's going to like sit in my stomach like a rock. But I always have like like at this point, I'm kind of eating seven times a day. So like I have six whole meals in me like a day. Um, so, and you got to make, it's, it's also like an effort thing. It's just easy to put protein powder in a cup with mm -hmm. some almond milk and drink it versus like actually cook a piece of chicken. So, it but is. yeah. Um, and it's also interesting too, is there are carbs in those shakes. If people are like looking at that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it depends because if they get like a whey isolate, it's like just pure processed um way um and they usually take or like a hydrolyzed way they even take the lactose out of that but um it's just the, the issue with having so much protein is again uh protein's the hardest on your body to digest and if it's overworked it'll cause inflammation and inflammation will raise cortisol cortisol will cause water retention and then it's just like a domino effect so um, a lot of people really overdo on the protein Interesting. and so funny because most people, a lot of the gen, gen pop don't eat enough protein. Yes, I'm aware. Yeah, I know. It's just, I mean, more so kind of like along the lines of, because that's the problem. It's either like they eat, they don't eat enough or they eat way too much, you so know, because live in extremes. Right. Exactly. Like they think, okay, well, I want to be a bodybuilder. They slam down like 10 ounces of steak five times a day like no please don't do that you know unless you're on some of them do don't get me wrong but they're at the point where that's what they need like you don't need that when you first start um and like that's how i keep my waist small year round is i'm very moderate on my protein um i work with like i've worked with all my coaches i've been very professional i've worked with professional athletes in the sport and one of my strong suits is i have a very small waist and one of the reasons why is because i've never slammed down a ridiculous amount of protein to like cause my, my gut to expand like that. Mm, so how much, like, what is your macro split? 
Um, so right now, um, so there's a macro split and also how I time it, time it in the day. Um, so my macro split right now is pretty much 40, 40, 20. I'm very fat sensitive. Um, so everyone's different, but for me, I've always been very sensitive to fats. I'm a carb baby. You can give me like an extra bowl of pasta. It will do nothing to my weight. But if you give me like an extra avocado, my, I will get, I will spike up in weight like crazy. Um, so that's just something that's very individual. I would say I'm like a mixture of like a meso and an ectomorph, uh, because I naturally am very skinny so I can handle more carbs. Um, so my protein and carbs are like 40, 40, I would say protein a little lower, maybe like 35 and like carbs high. Uh, but the main thing that I do that actually, um, is very specific is I separate my carbs and my fats. Um, so going back to, what we were saying about spiking insulin, um, my coach and I theorized that because when you spike insulin, uh, your body tells your everything, your body literally just says absorb, but the problem is it absorbs everything too. Like, you know, you have like bodybuilders that take insulin, like diabetics would. And when they do that, you're not like the protocol is you're really not supposed to eat a lot of fat in the meal following it because your body can absorb that fat too. And you don't want that. You just want the protein and the carbs. So we figured we kind of took that same philosophy and just applied it to our normal, like my, my normal meals. So all my protein and carb meals are pretty much minimal fat. And then I have um, my protein and fat meals, which are much higher in fat and higher in protein and very minimal in carbs. And by splitting up and like just separating my carbs and my fats, I've been able to like double my caloric intake and I'm in my off season and I look leaner than I've ever looked in my off season at a weight that like, I look like I'm eight weeks out right now and at a weight that I would never look eight weeks out at. And I actually really do believe in that. Um, so like, for example, my, my daily day, mm-hmm. um, breakfast, I do. Now, the only exception is breakfast because uh, I have fast cardio. You're in a fasted state. So your body is extremely depleted. So I will combine all three macros in my breakfast, but that is the only exception. Then my meal two my, and my pre-workout meal, which is three, um, are carb and protein, no fat. So jasmine rice, chicken breast, um, and then just like whatever seasoning, salt. Then um, I'll work out, have my intracarbs. Post-workout, same thing. I have pretty much cream of rice, whey isolate, powdered almond butter. Powdered almond butter is like two grams of fat, very, very low fat meals. And then as my day gets in during like towards more night, that's when I have my protein and fat meals. So then I'll have a steak and Brussels sprouts. Um, and I'll have an actual, I, I will have an actual fattier cut of steak. So in a way it's actually nice because I get to enjoy these, like, like a ribeye steak or something because I like, I've kind of saved my fats or I'll have like salmon, you know, like something a little fattier, but um, I need that because I pretty much reserve my fast for later in the day and uh, like kind of away from my working out and my carbs. So I'll do like a salmon piece of steak and then veggies and then do that again. And then I'll have a shake. Um, And by doing that and by separating my carbs and keeping my carbs strictly around training and then my fats later in the day before I go to sleep, what I've done is I have the, I have the energy for training. Um, So I stay insulin sensitive. Insulin sensitivity means when you consume a carb, your body reacts to it you're just continuously slamming down carbs, your body will become insulin resistant, meaning it doesn't react the same way anymore. It doesn't have that same effect. Like it's just not utilizing it to its full, like, like potential. Um, And then I'll have the fats and the protein later on before I go to sleep for hormone regulation and digestion. Um, So by doing that, I've stayed way leaner in my off season and I've put on like more muscle than I ever have. Um, and another reason why I separate carbs from later in the day is because carbs do suppress growth hormone release. When you go to sleep, um, your growth hormone levels will increase in your body. So if you if you eat if you have a little bit of carbs before bed, you're fine. Like whatever, like don't you're not gonna freak out. But if you have like hundred grams of carbs before you go to sleep, um, that will suppress your growth hormone levels, um, and we don't want that. So that's why like doing these higher fat, higher protein meals are so great because it's just it also works in conjunction with your growth hormone levels at night. Mm. 
I love that. Okay. So now as you've gone through that, I, I, you know, caveat, cause I feel like it's something you did say. So I am curious, like as a coach, you said specifically, you were talking about you. And I feel like it's one of the misconceptions you were talking about. It's like, you know, we can't cookie cutter template every single thing. It's like what works for you isn't going to necessarily work for someone else. Right. So how do you determine and figure out the different nuances for each person that you work with? How would someone go about figuring out what works best for them? Um, Well, I will definitely say in the beginning, it's definitely just, well, I always tell my client, like, I really like first week, I just need you to follow it. Um, I want to make sure like what I gave you works um, because at first it is like, I make a very, very educated guess. And then based off the way the body responds, I will adjust. That being said, the way I make my conclusions based off a person is multiple things. Body fat plays a big role in it. Uh, I always say you earn your carbs, the leaner, like the leaner you are, the more um, insulin sensitive you are. So I can hit you with more carbs and you'll benefit from it. Someone that has a higher body fat percentage are definitely more insulin resistant. And it doesn't really matter if I give them more carbs, their body's not going to react to it. So typically someone with a higher body fat percentage, I will have them on a higher fat, higher protein um, macro split rather than like pushing the carbs on them. I have to bring body fat down before I can start to increase their carbs like that. That being said, they're not carb lists, but I would definitely have them on higher fat and protein, um, especially protein, um, because protein has a thermogenic effect in the body because again, it is so hard to absorb it. You literally make your body work harder to digest it. So I'll have them on a higher protein diet. Um, the lean, sometimes I'll have very lean guys and I slam them with carbs. Like I don't, you know, I'll have them on like a, like a 30, 50, like protein to carb ratio. Um, and they look amazing because they're still getting like about a gram of protein per body weight, like their weight, but they, you know, they're also like they have so much energy in the gym that they can push themselves and they have crazy pumps and they look drier and harder. Um, and that's another misconception. People think that eating carbs makes you look fat, but that's not how it works. Um, if you do it properly, what happens, you have two types of water retention. You have intramuscular water retention and uh, subcutaneous fat water retention. Um, intramuscular cellular water retention is great. Um, that means the water is in within the muscle bellies. Um, ways you can do that is creatine. Actually, people don't realize creatine is a supplement that shuttles water into the muscle rather than under the skin. Um, and when you consume carbs with salt, salt's really important too. Salt actually, people think salt's bad for you, but it's really not. It's an electrolyte. Um, so when you consume a carb and you, and you have creatine, the salt, and potassium, it'll go right into the muscle and it'll expand them and it'll press against the skin. So you'll look actually tighter and drier and harder. That being said, um, when you see people, they'll cut salt and they'll cut water. And what all they're doing is increasing progesterone levels and progesterone um, and cortisol will pretty much push water and carbs outside of the muscle and into the bloodstream. And that's when you have water in the subcutaneous um, skin layer and fat layer. And that's when you look watery and bloated and the look that you don't want. Don't um, you do a water cut right before your shows though? So the way we do it is we actually, um, no, we actually, well, this is the thing. We'll actually double our water intake. Um, people, we, we, so like up to the show, I usually am drinking about a gallon a day. The week before, like um, a couple of days prior, I'm on two gallons of water at least um, because we're actually flushing. So what we'll do is we increase, like we double our water intake. I actually screwed myself over really bad last time because I was so hungry all the time. I'd be naturally drinking two gallons of water. So the last week I had to drink three gallons of water. Um, so I was drinking three gallons of water. Uh, that was like some dandelion root extract. Uh, there's a supplement called Expel. It's a, it's a natural diuretic. It's not over the counter. It's just like some herbs that just literally help you pee more. Um, I would be just flushing and flushing and flushing. And then what we do is we'll, uh, there are some coaches that cut water. I was never trained that way ever, ever. Um, I actually work under Jason. Like I work for Jason's com company now, Scooby Prep. 
And I was never, ever trained to cut water like that. If anything, we just cut water. Um, so the night before Friday night, we don't cut it out completely. We just say eight ounces of water, sip it like, you know, like here and there, we just don't want you to chug the water. So then like, you know, then like, it's just kind of sitting in your tummy before it like, you know, digest properly, but no, we actually like double our water intake. So we flush more, um, salt never touch, honestly, again, because people, when you're getting ready for a bodybuilding show that last week, people think is like a miracle worker. It's really not you're supposed to be ready. Like if you're not ready, there's nothing a week's going to do for you. Um, it's just really like nitpicking at that point. Um, so like you really shouldn't have to play with like salt. I never touched my salt. I was salting every, I was salting away the day of my show. I was eating pretzels. I was eating rice cakes with like dumping salt on it. Salt is your friend. Um, people think it, like it's not, but you know, Unless you have a very high cholesterol levels, then you definitely want to watch your salt levels. But if you have normal cholesterol levels then go for it, because especially if you're sweating in the gym, like when I work out, I sweat, like I wear a hoodie, I'm drenched, you're losing electrolytes and you're losing salt. So athletes definitely need way more salt than your average person. So I always put salt on like any client. Mm, okay. Um, Oh my gosh, I had like a million different questions to ask as you were talking. Um, but I want to go back a little bit to talk a little bit more about uh, your clients. So now who are the people that you work with? Oh, I remember. I, I do want to ask that. But before we go there, do you ever eat for enjoyment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if I'm not in prep, yes, I, you know, like I will go out with my family or I'll go out with my girlfriend. Like I definitely find like I believe balance is like really important. So um how do you navigate that like what does balance mean to you balance means to me being um I would say 85 percent of the week on and then like again well I love I for me I love breakfast like breakfast is like my favorite like you know the day so like lately like I've been going out for breakfast um like once a week um like for example if I want to add I keep it healthy though like, for example, if I'm really, really hungry, I'll have like an extra bowl of yogurt or something like so like I'm not to the point where I'm like beating myself down, but I'll just make smart decisions, you know, um, if I'm in prep, though, it's a totally different ballgame and prep. It doesn't matter how you feel. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, how long is your prep? My preps are long. I like to keep, I like to do 20 week preps. Most preps are like 16. Some people do eight week preps, but that I think is way too short. Um, but I like longer preps just because I can take my time. It's less stressful and you retain more muscle because if you cut too fast, you will lose a lot of muscle in the process. So 20 weeks, typically. You were not in prep and you went out to breakfast and let's say you like crushed a pancake. Would that like wreak havoc on your system because your body's just not used to that? Definitely not. Um, I mean, I, last time I went, I crushed French toast in an omelet. So, and I was fine. Um, but I think again, it's, but it's not like I, like, for example, there was like, what I could have, like, I could have gotten something with like a lot of cheese on it or like dairy and stuff like that. But instead, like my omelet was just like basic egg whites, like veggies and like mushrooms and stuff. So like, like I kind of know what wreaks havoc on my body and what doesn't. So like I knew like bread honestly sits fine in me. So like eating pancakes or like wheat, wheat in general is fine in me. So like pancakes or like French toast wouldn't bother me. But if I had too much of like cheese or something like that, that would definitely like really mess me up. So um, that's why like I'll just for me personally, I'll like pick my battles and I'd usually avoid something super crazy cheesy if I like was trying to avoid feeling a certain type of way. Mm, so now kind of in that vein and then we will switch to like who you serve um in terms of like are you working with bodybuilders are you working with gen pop uh you know you're very in tune with your body just because you've spent so much work and time on that do you feel like most people don't really realize or understand or even know what wreaks havoc on their body yes absolutely i don't think that they're very like self like self-aware like that um and that's something that you just develop over time. Um, there was a period of time that I had really bad gut issues and I couldn't figure it out why. So I literally took the time to do like a food log. I would eat something, I would sit there 
and I'd wait, like I'd wash myself for like an hour and see how I feel. And I started to realize, I'm like, okay, this, this, this messes me up. This doesn't mess me up. And like now it's like all in my head, like I kind of know um, I'm very sensitive to very acidic foods and very, and foods very high in lactose. I'm very good with, like, for example, um, cheese bothers me, but yogurt doesn't because yogurt's very high in probiotics, which feed the good bacteria in your gut. I only eat Greek yogurt, but something like very in like saturated fat, like cheese does usually sit really rough at me. Um, so I think most people aren't aware and I don't think they frankly really care um, because I don't, you know, again, the, the hard, the reason why bodybuilding is so hard is because it really is about what you look like and what you look like is constantly changing and it's very fluid. So having to be like, you know, constantly watching your body and trying to like control it and keep it in a relatively similar state is very hard. Um, so that's why I like prep's very hard. Another reason why it's really hard is because, you know, it, it's partially a performance sport because you have to push yourself so hard in the gym, but you're not feeding your body properly to perform at your optimal levels. You're, you know, you're dieting hard. So you're expecting your body to perform optimally while you're eating practically nothing when you're like two weeks out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what is, how do you keep your, me- like speaking of balance, like how do you keep your mental stamina? That must be so hard to constantly be scrutinizing your body in that way and measuring performance while also, you know, depleting the body. How do you keep your mental stamina and like not hate yourself? <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I think for, I'm, this is definitely, that's like, I think is very like a topic that isn't talked about a lot in the Bible community. And I definitely think a lot of big, like competitive girls suffer a lot from this, honestly. Um, a lot of like comparing each other and stuff like that. Um, I think for me personally, I just really like, this sounds so like the answer you don't want, but like, I really, really love the sport. And again, for me, it was, it's like an outlet of control being trans. Like there was a period of my life where I felt like I didn't have any control over my body and bodybuilding was kind of like that. Yeah, you do have control. If you don't like something, change it. So for me, I think I have a different perspective on it and I have a different level of appreciation. Um, And at the end of the day, like no one's really holding a gun to my head, forcing me to do anything. I could stop. I could literally decide right now I'm over it. Like, you know, but like I'm not. So like, it's not like being forced upon me. Um, I just choose to always be grateful. I think being grateful is also really important because bodybuilding is a very luxury sport. It is a very expensive sport. So I'm just very grateful that I can afford to do it um, and that I'm being supported by my friends and family. Um, and I really think perspective is really important in, in like everything because you, there, you could always find a reason to be miserable about. So like there's, you can literally find a reason to be miserable all the time. Mm-hmm. If you tried it hard enough. So true. But, but I choose not to, so. I, I love that okay I definitely want to be mindful of your time so I do want to quit oh it's okay no I'm, I'm all good I'm all okay. good um, you know for so when you are and that's that's so powerful and so awesome and I feel like because you're operating at that level and most people don't how do you navigate your coaching experience in terms of who you're working with are you working with people that are already you know kind of at the same level as you in terms of your the mindset essentially are you working with gen pop people who just want to look and feel better honestly i work both i would i I really work with both um i will just approach the person differently um for someone that is at a level that you know, I, I, I can clearly see that they're in it and like, they're willing to get, it's, it's, again, it's a very dual edged blade, like this thing. So like, you're going to have your good moments and have your bad, but if they're ready for it, like I push them harder for sure, because I know that I can, and they're not gonna like, you know, it's not going to phase them like that for someone that is a little bit more hesitant or they have a lot of internal struggles. The last thing I want to do is overwhelm them with like extra things I like deem unnecessary I really just focus strictly on what their goal is. And I pretty much, I don't, I don't know how to say this other than I'm like, I don't want you to do any of the thinking. I will do the thinking for you. Like Mm -hmm. if you have any questions of why I'm doing it, please feel free to ask. But you know, a lot of people, their biggest issue is they overthink things and overanalyze things. 
And what they'll do is instead of striving for progress, they strive for perfection. And if they don't do it perfectly, then they'll just stop. And, you know, I always like, that's something I always tell my clients, like, stop striving for like perfection. I don't even do everything perfectly. Just strive for progress, you know, just get like a little bit better every single day. And that will compound, like I promise. Um, I don't, you know, I always tell them like, I don't expect you to, especially if you're not a competitor, I don't expect you to be at the level of precision of the IFBB pro, you know? So, um, and I always tell them, try and like, you have to find the excitement of it. Like there is, like, it should be exciting. Like, you know, you took the step to do this for yourself because at the end of the day, this is for you. This isn't for me. Um, You know, you don't have to prove anything to me. I'm just trying to help you out. Um, This is for you. So I always remind them that like, this is for you. This isn't for me, you know, because some of them, like it's very flattering, but they want to kind of like make me proud or like, you know, impress me and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, I, I am, but like, I want, I want you to feel that way about yourself. You know, you should be your biggest supporter always. Mm, I love that. That is so good and such a good note to end on. But last question. I know I said that before, but I swear this is the last question. No, 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 it's okay. Um, how often do you eat and not want to? Um, so in my off season, I will definitely say like, for example, today I was very nauseous at breakfast. I was like, oh man, like I like, it really depends. Like pre-contest, I'm always ready to eat. Like if I'm getting ready for a show, I'm like looking at the time, like, oh man, like another hour. Okay. Um, but I would say my off season, it really depends how deep in my off season I am. Um, and some days are just better than others. There are some days again, it just goes to show like the body is always body is very fluid. Some days I have a huge appetite. Um, really like I'm ready for all my meals and I have other days that I'm going to like dragging per meal. Um, I will literally, I've done some very gross things to get meals down in the past. Um, cause I was in a rush, like, uh, once I was late for college and I had to eat chicken and rice. So I just blended it up and I drink it. <laughs> so gross. That is. Yeah. <laughs> so, Cause I, 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 could, I didn't want to drive and eat that's dangerous. So I just blended it up and I drank it while I drove like I drove. Mm. <laughs> That is, that's, wow. Ben, you also woke up at 2 a.m. in the morning. I cannot imagine you wanted to eat then. No, absolutely not. And I, I was eating like, I was eating a, like a piece of steak. I wasn't eating like, cause that like my meal, my meal two is always a piece of steak. I'm sorry, my meal, not my meal two, my meal five is always a piece of steak. Um, so I had to wake up for my meal five and eat a piece of steak. <laughs> gross I would never do that sorry not for me (laughs) okay so for those of you who want to you know hang out with you and learn a little bit more about what you do work with you where can I send them uh so you can send them to my Instagram it's Alex Talinka A-L-E-X-T-I-L-I-N-C-A I also have a YouTube which is exact same thing Alex Talinka those are my two main platforms Cool. I love it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it and catch you next time. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.